Welcome to Make Me Your Voice with Pastor David Bartowell. These messages are intended to deepen your faith and trust in a living God who speaks to us with hope and reason. Today's message comes to us from the Gate Christian Bible Church in Orange County, California. Good morning. That was a blessing to me to be able to be with you and worship. I just felt the Holy Spirit doing a million things. It was awesome. I want to start with sharing a story that many of you have heard, but excuse me while I tell it again because it's so amazing. I love to share it because it's a testimony of what God can do. I mean, do you believe that God can do anything? Okay, now whether he does that thing, that's up to him. But if you believe that, then that's how we get victory. You know, my father, who passed away in 2004, he struggled with diabetes and heart failure, things like this. His leg had to be amputated, and then he got a prosthetic leg, and the doctors told him they were going to have to amputate above his knee, which would have hindered him from using his prosthetic leg. He got bummed out, obviously, and he asked, he said, can we pray? Can you pray for me? So as a family, we prayed on the hospital bed with him, around him, and he looked at me and he said, son, pray that God can heal me, my leg, because I believe that he can heal my leg. And I said, I believe that too. And we all believed and we prayed. In the middle of the prayer, his leg moved. And he looked up. He said, did you touch my leg? I said, no, Dad, but we're praying that God would touch your leg and heal your leg. He said, somebody touched my leg. And they wheeled him down to do the surgery. And about 15 minutes later, the doctor comes out and says, I don't know how to explain this. That's not the same leg we saw yesterday. This leg is totally healed. We don't have to do any more surgery. It's amazing to me that God decided to do that just a few years before he passed away. But he did that for his glory. And so I can testify to this 15 years later. I'll never forget it. People in my family got saved because of that. But the key is my dad said, pray that God would heal my leg because I believe he can heal it. Now, did we know that he was going to do that? We didn't know how he was going to do it or what he was going to do. But the fact of the matter is we believe. And today when we talk about the truth heals thinking problems, because last week we talked about the truth heals thinking problems with anxiety and depression and how our thoughts aren't even real half the time. And they're definitely most of the time not true. They're just opinions that go through our mind. Today we're going to look at a big problem. It's called unbelief. And when I say that, a lot of people go directly to, oh, to unbelievers, you know, that they're atheists or agnostics or whatever. They don't believe or they don't know. I'm not just talking about those people. I'm talking about the church. The church is filled with unbelievers. Because here's the thing. A lot of people place their faith in Jesus Christ for their salvation and their eternal security and everything else they don't believe. But it says in here, oh, yeah, I know, but that's, that's not for me. That's for somebody else. Here's the thing. If we, if we believe that God can do anything, and then if we believe that his word is true, then why don't we trust him in all the areas of our life? Sadly, the church is filled with what the Bible calls false teachers. And these are people who have authority, and they either don't teach the truth because they don't believe it, or they don't want to offend people, 
or whatever the reason is, and then the church misses out on opportunities to trust God in their life. And here's a perfect passage for that. When Paul wrote to Timothy, his protege, and said, I want you to be different than those teachers. I want you to preach and teach the truth because he says, for the time will come. And he's talking about these days right now. When they, and these are teachers, people, different people, they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. So they gather teachers, teach me, teach me, and then, oh no, don't teach me that stuff. Teach me what I want to hear. And will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. And sadly, myths are a lot of the times what have been teaching because it's not coming from the Word of God. A lot of the reason that as kids grow up in the church and they decide to leave the church, a lot of that goes back to the way they were taught as kids. And a lot of times they were taught that the stories in the Old Testament about the flood and creation and things like that didn't really happen. They're just stories. Well, if they're just stories, why am I hanging out at church? I might as well just go learn different stories. If it's not true, why are we spending time talking about it? And why did Jesus refer back to them as actually happening? So until we can grasp the fact that the word of God is true and that we can build our worldview around truth, what's a worldview? A worldview is the fundamental perspective from which one addresses every issue of life. So this is how they think about God, about themselves, about other people, about the world. Everybody has one, a belief system. It's faith in something. Now, there's different types of worldviews. Now, let's just go through them quickly. First, there's naturalism. These people would adhere to the fact that there's no God and there's really no supernatural activity and we evolved from animals, basically. Then there's theism, which these people believe in God, but it could be the God of the Bible, it could be God of Islam, it could be uh, Christianity, it could be Judaism, it could be uh, all different types of gods. And then there's pantheism, which is pantha in Greek means everything. So it means God is in everything and human beings are naturally divine because God lives inside of us. And then pluralism is basically a lot what we see today is like all religions lead to the same place. You choose your truth, I choose my truth, speak your truth you know, whatever, and then we just hope for the best. All the roads lead to the same place. And then postmodernism, which is a big part of our culture today, is where we talked about a few weeks ago, truth is relative, and that means that it's subjective, it's based on your own self and your own truth, rather than objective, based on something outside of yourself. And reality is a human construct. This could also be known as a post-Christian worldview. So what makes Christianity different? Can you guess? The Bible. The Bible is not just a book. A lot of religions have books and manuals. The Bible is the Word of God. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. How is that different than other things? Well, this is God-breathed, and the Holy Spirit breathed the words through people that wrote them down, and we believe that that's truth without error. The next thing is every Bible-believing Christian should have a biblical worldview. 
Now, notice I didn't say a Christian worldview, because <laughs> there's a lot of different beliefs even in Christianity. But we should have a biblical worldview, because that's more specifically aligned to the Word of God. Mark Bertrand, in his book, Rethinking Worldview, he comes up with four pillars of a Christian worldview, and they deal with different aspects. First, the creation is that the universe is Yahweh's creation, and that's the God of the Bible, Yahweh. Order, Yahweh's sovereignly controlling the world. These are things that are biblically, that would adhere to a biblical worldview. Rationality, Yahweh's world is knowable, but also mysterious. We only know what he's revealed in his word. Fear of Yahweh means that we must have reverence for God, the God of the Bible, in our lives. Proverbs 9.10 is a very important verse. Read it with me. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So once I can get to the point that I revere and respect God, that's the beginning of wisdom, which leads to knowledge of God and understanding of Him. Paul, the apostle, put it this way. And this is the difference. This is the crux of the matter. No pun intended. But we preach Christ crucified. The center of the gospel is Christ crucified. Without the cross, it can be anything. Without Jesus dying on the cross to pay for our sins, then we can try to do it on our own. That's a lot of religions say, you know, do these things. God did this for us. Because Paul, when he says we preach Christ crucified, to Jews it's a stumbling block. Why would it be a stumbling block to Jews? Because the cross was for someone who was cursed by God. So they looked at Jesus afterwards and said, there's no way a holy God would die on an instrument of curse. Well, what they didn't get, and that's why Paul expands on this, they didn't understand that he was cursed for us. Even though he was sinless, he took on sin for us because we couldn't do that because we are sinners and sinful. We have sin in our blood. Jesus had no sins. The Bible says he's without sin. So he was able to do that. And the cross to Gentiles is foolishness. Like they'll say, what, you really believe that? You really believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins? Yeah, it says in the Bible. To those who are the called, that would be those who believe, both Jews and Greeks, it doesn't matter where you're from, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God for salvation. If you believe this and you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you need to thank God for opening your eyes to the truth. Because the Bible says the God of this age, little g, God of this age would be Satan and his minions. It says the God of this age has what? blinded the mind of unbelievers so that they cannot see the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The only way someone will believe is that the Holy Spirit will work in their life. Sadly, a lot of believers will not believe what God says. Now, at the root of all sin is unbelief. Now, I've said this before. Every time you decide To not believe what God says, you are therefore missing the mark, which is what sin is, and you are 
just like an unbeliever in the sense that even though you're saved, you still choose to not believe what God says is true. And the devil doesn't want you to believe what God says is true. In fact, in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve fell for a lie. They were deceived that God is not enough. You need that tree. That one tree that God said not to eat from, you need that tree because God's not enough for you. And unbelief is what keeps us from experiencing healing and freedom. Now let's talk quickly about unbelief, the three different categories. First, unbelief about God. So this would be the unbeliever, the person who may be an atheist or an agnostic. An atheist is someone without God. Theist would be God or theos. And the A before it negates that, right? So it's a negative. So it's without God. So agnostic, the Greek word for knowledge is gnosis. And so without Gnosis is without knowledge, which most of the time is there might be seeking or they've decided to not believe the truth. So they say that they're without knowledge. But here's the thing. Nobody can say that there is no God according to the Bible or nobody should say. They'll say it. But in Romans 1.18 through 20, it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so that they're without excuse. You know, it used to be people would look at the universe and go, there has to be a God, How can this just come into being like this and working so perfectly? And now they're suppressed the truth. They try to tell people lies about this and that. And that lie is supposed to be scientific. And the problem with that is, is that if that's scientific, then let's prove that there's no God. No one can prove that there's no God, right? Has anyone proven it? No, that's just a belief. That's faith, that there's no God. And then others have faith that there is God. But here's the difference. Psalm 14.1, read it with me. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. If someone is foolish in the sense that I'm just going to suppress the truth, I'm not going to believe what I see. I'm not going to believe what I hear. I'll just stay foolish. Then I will say there is no God. The next thing that people don't believe is grace. So some people don't believe in God and some people don't believe grace. What's grace? Grace is undeserved favor. You've heard this, right? God's grace is something that we don't deserve. It's a gift. There's two facets of grace. There's what's called common grace, and then there's called specific or special grace. So what would common grace be? Like what's one thing that everybody who's alive today can do and experience in God's grace? Breathe would be one thing. Think, work, whatever. Because the Bible says the rain falls on the good and the bad. Everybody experiences God's grace. But what's the difference between that kind of grace and what's known as special or specific grace? Where's specific grace experienced and found? In Christ. Specifically, in here. 
we find out about specific attributes of God's grace in the Bible. So when someone, a believer, doesn't believe the Bible or chooses not to believe certain things that the Bible says, that person could be not experiencing the specific grace that God has in his or her life. For instance, if the Bible says that there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ, we talked about that last week, and you choose to not believe that, and you choose to believe that I am condemned and guilty, even as a believer, then you are not experiencing the grace of God in the fact that you're not guilty. You've been free of that. That can change your whole perspective because you can be caught up in that prison of a lie or you can believe what God says and be set free. That's why Jesus says you will know the truth and the truth will what? Set you free. So to know God, to know truth is not just knowing about him. It's to know him in a personal way. There's an attribute of grace that I don't think we tap into. It's like when you're really thirsty and you need that drink of water and then there's a water fountain right in front of you and you choose to not drink of the fountain or the water bottle. That is grace for daily life. Grace for daily life. I love what Dallas Willard says. He says the true saint burns grace like a 747 burns fuel on takeoff. When you're tapping into God's grace on a daily basis, on a minute-by-minute basis, and you're believing what he says about you and the grace that he offers you in every moment of your life, that's like burning fuel that's a good fuel, and you're ready for takeoff. Look at the Bible, Ephesians chapter 1. There's so many places about grace. I want to look at this one. Ephesians chapter 1. I'm going to read this passage, and then we'll look at verses 7 and 8 a little more. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are at Ephesus. Now, here's the first thing about grace. It says to the saints who are at Ephesus. So if God was writing this to the believers here at the gate, it would say to the saints who are at the gate. Well, that must exclude me then, because I ain't no saint. I've heard believers say, I ain't a saint. What? What are you then, a sinner? Because you're either a saint in God's grace and forgiveness or you're a sinner under the penalty of sin and death. So what does the Bible say? He writes a letter to the sinners who are at the gate. No, he doesn't. He writes to the saints. That's a change in position. You're not that sinner. You sin, but you're not that person anymore. You're a saint who are at Ephesus and who are faithful in Christ Jesus And then Paul says, grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You can't have peace in your life if you don't know grace. And then he goes on, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And get this, this will blow your mind. Who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Is Jesus Christ blessed? He's the most blessed person ever. We have the same blessings. Verse 4, just as he chose us. Do you know God chose you? Was that of your choice choosing or him? That's grace, right? In him. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world, before he created the world, 
He knew you, and he chose you. And he just waited for you to say yes, that we would be holy and blameless before him. Does anyone ever feel holy and blameless? No, come over to my house. That ain't happening. But does it matter how I feel? No, it matters what God says. In love, he adopted you into his family and predestined that very moment through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved, and that's in Christ. And let us look at these two verses here, verses 7 and 8. In him, Christ, we have redemption. What's redemption? You've been purchased, set free from what? Sin and death through his blood. That's the payment. The forgiveness of sins. So does that mean just sins from yesterday? Does that mean just sins for today? Does that mean just sins for tomorrow? What does it mean? Every sin. Your past is paid for. Your present is paid for. And your future is paid for. That's the forgiveness of sins in Christ in accordance with the riches of God's grace. It's his grace that did this, that he lavished on us. Do you ever feel like you don't deserve God's grace lavished on you? doesn't matter how you feel. He has lavished his grace on you. This is the change that happened when you became a new creation. Oh, pastor, but I don't feel like a new creation. Who cares how you feel? I mean, I say that in love, I know I feel a lot of things. The point is, at some point, I have to stop believing what I feel and start believing what God says. I have a new position in Christ. I have a new relationship with a Father who loves me in heaven. And here's the key to that freedom. Read it with me, 1 John 1.9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So here's the thing. If you feel like you have sin that is not confessed, you know you have sin that is not confessed, it is up to you to bring it into the light to God and then maybe to someone else who you trust, but mainly you can get this free from God and you just say, yeah, Lord, I screwed up. I'm sorry. Sorry I acted that way. I know that's not the way you want me to act. I know that's not what you want me to say. And then you don't hold on to that. You just say, thank you, Lord, for your forgiveness. I am righteous in you, and I can get off the bench and get back on the playing field, and I don't have to sit there and feel like I've been knocked out with a concussion, which a lot of believers do. You remember this thing? This, I loved this thing, man, when I was a kid. So you'd ride on it, right? This is broken right now, but you can pretend that there's something. And how would you erase it? Shake it, right? Okay. That's what happened when you trusted Christ that your sins have been forgiven. They've been wiped clean. Like, let's say you have a virus on your hard drive. And you know it's there and you can clean it. Then you clean your hard drive. And then what happens? It doesn't have that virus in there anymore. Here's the thing about forgiveness. There's layers of forgiveness. 
the main layer of forgiveness is what's called forensic or a legal level. So like, let's say you're standing before the judge. You know you're guilty. The judge knows you're guilty. And then he says, I'm just going to let you go. My son paid your ticket. You're good to go. So when you trust Christ, that's what happened. All your sins have been wiped away. In other words, God doesn't see you as you were. He sees you as you are in Christ and will be in Christ in your future glorification of the body. But then we have sin that goes on daily, right? Is there anyone in here that does not sin on a daily basis? Or I say weekly, because some of you are really cool, like you're good. (laughs) You can go like three or four days, maybe. But at some point, you fall short, right? It's like the Day of Atonement in Israel was once a year. They would sacrifice the animal, but it covered the sin. It didn't take it away. And then have to do it in a year again, because all built up, right? Well, thank God that's not what happens. We don't have to, like, kill animals every week. Our budget would go south just from all the animals we'd have to kill, right? So that's not what's happening. Jesus did that once and for all. So that's what we're talking about here. Isaiah 43 even brings it to another level. I, even I, God says, am the one who wipes away your sins for my own sake. And check this out. I will not remember your sins anymore. Do you believe that he knows everything and remembers everything? But here he says, I will not remember your sins. That's grace, right? And then the next thing is unbelief about Christ. Now here is where it becomes problematic for the one who rejects Christ. Because Christ is the one on whom my salvation rests. Jesus said in John 3.18, Whoever believes in him, and he's speaking third person for himself, Christ is not condemned. So raise your hand if you believed in Christ as your Lord and Savior. Okay, you're not condemned. But then it goes on. But whoever does not believe, what? Stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son, which is Jesus Christ. So this is the type of unbelief that is a life or death situation. Because if I believe, in Christ as my Lord and Savior. And if you haven't, you can do that anytime. It's offer a free gift. In fact, Jesus said, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved at any moment. You can believe now. And that belief takes care of that legal sin problem because God is a holy God and he has to judge sin. But Jesus took that sin upon himself and became sin on your behalf. And now that separation isn't there and we can have a vibrant relationship with God. That's by grace. But if I reject that grace through Jesus Christ, then what am I rejecting? I'm rejecting God himself. This is where unbelief has eternal consequences. And here's the part that I think we have to really understand. If I'm going to believe something else, what has to happen to the things I used to believe? I have to unbelieve those, right? And then the question is, well, what is God's will for my life? And then in John 6, we find they ask Jesus, what is the will of God or the work of God? What does he want us to do? And Jesus says what? The will or work of God is this. Read the rest. To believe in the one he has sent. That's the ground floor. 
That's where you receive forgiveness and you can start to grow and believe what God says about you in Christ. And once I believe God, I receive his spirit and that's a deposit for my future glorification with Christ because the Bible says that those who are dead in Christ will rise with Christ. It's as if we died on the cross and we rose from the dead. That's exactly what happens to someone who believes. You are in him now and he in you. And those who reject this will remain in their sin and be under God's wrath, not his grace. The religious leaders did this all the time. They had constant conflict with Jesus and they rejected Christ. In fact, in Mark 1.15, says, And the saying that Jesus said, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So here's the bottom line why a lot of people get stuck is because Jesus is a king, because Pilate in the next passage, Pilate says, so you're a king. And Jesus said, you say I'm a king, and you're saying the truth. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. So if Jesus is a king of a kingdom, then it's a battle of power. Basically, I want to retain power. I don't want to give up control of my life to another king, even if that king offers you every blessing that you've ever wanted and eternal life to live with him forever and have peace in your life, a peace that surpasses all understanding. And that's just the touch in the tip of the iceberg. They still reject because they'd rather stay in control. And that's what the religious leaders did. But God keeps giving us chances. He's waiting for us to repent, which is to stop believing what I think is true and start believing what he says is true. But that has to happen as a choice. And our will is very strong. We have a strong will. The worst part of this is found in Luke chapter 12, verse 10. It finally gets to the point that the religious leaders actually attribute Jesus's miracles to Satan. And so Jesus says to them, Everyone who speaks against the Son of Man, and when he's talking about himself as the Son of Man, he's talking about himself in his humanity. He's a God-man, but he was man. It will be forgiven. So people that mock Jesus and you know use his name in vain and all this stuff, I used to do that all the time. That's forgivable. But here's the thing. He who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit, who speaks against God's Spirit working in one's life, will not be forgiven. Why? Because you're rejecting God himself and you're rejecting his grace. And you're choosing to be like the religious leaders, the Pharisees, who the Bible refers to as stiff neck, stubborn people who will not come to the point where they go, I'm tired of fighting, you know? So when you reject Christ, you reject the king of the universe and you reject God himself. Now, we're going to end today by looking at belief in the sense of Peter, because we just talked about that level of belief, but I want to talk about belief in a life of a believer, okay? So how much do you believe God? And it's in Matthew 14, Peter walks on water. Peter is a believer. He's not a mature believer, but he's a believer at this point. Belief desires a command. If I'm a believer, belief desires someone to tell me what to believe, That's exactly what God does. And I don't know what I should believe until God tells me what to believe in his word. 
So we look at verse 28 in Matthew 14. Peter said to him, Jesus, they're in a boat. He says, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. It was night, okay? It was nighttime. Jesus was praying on a mountain. He sent the disciples ahead of him in a boat. Jesus comes down from the mountain. He looks, the boat is way out there. So what does he do? He does what everyone does. He starts walking on the water. So, you know, Jesus is walking on the water. And what happens? They go, oh my gosh, it's a ghost. So that's why Peter says, Lord, if it is you, command me. Disciples thought it was a ghost, but Jesus calmed everything in verse 27 where he says, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. So then Peter goes, okay, why is Peter not recognizing Jesus' voice? I don't think he didn't recognize it. I think Peter was like going, okay, something cool is about to happen. So Jesus, if it's you, kind of give me that second assurance thing that I got to know it's you. You know, have you done that? It's like, God, I know you're telling me to do this, but God, just give me that second thing that I need to see or whatever it is, that fleece. Lord, if it's you, you know, and I think that's what Peter's doing because he's about to do something supernatural. Next, belief yearns for a word, a word from God. So Jesus said what? Come, which is a command. Now, what a privilege for Peter. Jesus says, come to me on the water. What does Peter do? The next thing is belief is active. Does Peter just sit there in the boat and go, oh, you come get me. Lord, I'm really tired. You know, I'm kind of worn out. It's nighttime, and I can't see you that well. No, he gets out of the boat because actions speak louder than words. It says, and Peter got out of the boat. And here's the sad thing. A lot of believers, they'll say, I believe Jesus with my life, my eternal security. Then get out of the boat. Hmm, I don't know. That's that's asking a lot, you know? Now, there's a caveat. The weather is not calm. There's a storm coming. It's windy. There's big waves. So... Maybe Peter felt safer in the water with Jesus than in the boat with the disciples, which I would rather be in the water with Jesus than in the boat with those disciples. But Peter's willing to believe. So what happens? He walks on the water. Has anyone ever done this? Has anyone walked on water? Only Jesus and Peter are the only documented people that I know of that have ever walked on water. But Peter had to get out of the boat. To trust God. What does Peter say? He says, Jesus, command me to what? Come to you. Is there any place better than to be with Jesus? John Corson writes, the reason Peter could walk on water was not because he wanted to write a book about walking on water or to send out publicity photos of himself surfing without a board. Peter's motivation was neither notoriety nor fame. He simply wanted to go to Jesus. And I'm going to finish the points, and then I'll end with singing a song about this. But the next thing is belief sometimes falters. Belief is not perfect. So what happens? Verse 30 says something very hard to fathom, but seeing the wind. Okay, here's where the faith lesson number one needs to come in hand. Never take your eyes off of Jesus. Did Peter see the wind? Can you see wind? What was Peter seeing? He was seeing the waves. He was seeing his messed up life. He was seeing his challenges. And he saw the storm, the effects of the storm. And what happens? He became frightened, which is a normal thing. But here's the thing. He began to sink. Now, let's not get on Peter's case too much because here's the good news. At least Peter took at least one or two steps, I'm assuming, on the water. You got to give him that. 
Don't downplay the little steps that you take in trusting God. Those are huge. And he cried out, cried out for help. What does he say? He says, Lord, save me. Have you ever been there? God, I trusted you. And now I'm sinking. I thought you'd be with me. But he always is. God is always ready and willing to pick you up. We can't falter, Peter, because God had incredible plans for Peter, and Jesus was testing his faith all the time. You're going to trust me. You're going to trust me. And then Peter got to the point where he learned. In 1 Peter 1.7, he says, These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith. So Peter writes to the church, These storms have come to prove your faith. Because that's what God is doing, not to prove to him, to prove to you. When you take that step out of the boat and you trust him, you're going to experience incredible blessings beyond what you've ever experienced. What is he asking you to do as far as stepping out of the boat? Or maybe... Don't step out of the boat. Trust me in the boat. Whatever it is. Weak and wounded sinner. Lost and left to die. Raise your head for love is passing by. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus and live. Now your burden's lifted and carried far away. Precious blood has washed away the stain. So sing to Jesus. Sing to Jesus. Sing to Jesus and live. Like a newborn baby, don't be afraid to crawl. Remember when you walk, sometimes you fall. So fall on Jesus. Fall on Jesus. Fall on Jesus and live. Sometimes the way is lonely and steep and filled with pain. So if your sky is dark and pours the rain, then cry to Jesus, cry to Jesus. Cry to Jesus and live. And when the love spills over and music fills the night, when you can't contain your joy inside, dance with Jesus. Dance with Jesus. Dance with Jesus. Jesus and live and with your final heartbeat 
Jesus Fly to Jesus Fly to Jesus And live Fly to Jesus Fly to Jesus Fly to Jesus And live To bow your heads Lord, we're afraid of the storm sometimes. There's lots of waves, lots of things that are scary. And then you're out there in the water, and you're saying, come to me. And then we trust you, and for some reason we take our eyes off of you, and we see the wind, we see our messed up life. And we start to sink. That's not the end of the story. In fact, that's just the beginning. Because it's through that sinking feeling that we look up and see that you're there with your hands open wide, ready to pull us out, give us new strength and new grace for this day. Lord, I pray for those who are going through these kind of things, Lord, and that you would give them the peace that surpasses all understanding when they choose to believe your word above their own thoughts and feelings. And Lord, you know, we look at Jesus' life and he wasn't even by himself. He had people around him to help him in these times. And I'm so grateful for this church family, Lord, that we love each other. and We're here for each other. I pray for anybody, Lord, today who would like to repent and stop believing in what they believe is true and start believing in what you say is true. They would just say, I'm sorry, Lord. I want to repent. I want to trust you, Lord. I want to place my life in your hands. I want you to be the king of my life. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins, and thank you for rising from the dead. And I look forward to learning all about you, Lord, because I love you, and I know you love me. In Jesus' name, amen. Pastor David Bartowell's message reminds us that God speaks to us with hope and reason so that we can be His voice in this world. Please join us again for Make Me Your Voice, a ministry of the Gate Christian Bible Church in Orange County, California. We would love to have you visit if you're in the area. For more information or to find our location, please visit thegateoc.com. Amazing.